All right, ladies and gentlemen, it has been a minute since All About Reality has been in your ear. Today, I am without my longtime wing, and uh, Matt Goodwin is on the physically unable to perform list at the moment as training camp starts. Uh, but Ryan Kratchik ably is filling in here. And so we're going to step up. We're going to talk uh, the new auction value data that's coming to us. We're going to have a good time breaking down some of the best values that we see. Uh, Ryan, welcome. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on with you and uh, I'm going to be missing Goody, but it's it's good to be on with you, Luke, as, as always. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited to do this. Uh, this is one of our favorite exercises of the year. Uh, football's back. We're getting, you know, images of Tannehill throwing it to Traylon Burks. We're hearing about uh, how Michael Thomas is back on the field. There's some pretty excellent stuff. So today, what I want to do is walk through a little bit of that with you and just say like, look, if people are starting up a draft, what should they be looking for in terms of average values, things that you and I like to do? We are currently in the, in the listener league together. We're, 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 you're in the friends of reality podcast league with some of the big names like Graham Barfield with us now. So we're going to, we're going to try to hammer these things out and see if we can figure out, you know what, these contracts make a lot of sense, uh, as we get into the year. So, um, I just want to throw, first of all, uh, this is always fun to start with. Everybody out there has their dream when they walk into the the first round of a draft. Um, the beauty of RSO is that you're not bound by rounds, right? And so I, I was just wondering, of the guys that are currently going in those first 12 picks, are there multiple ones of them that you would target with with giant contracts? And, and we'll talk about what some of the average contracts that they're getting are. Um, and... I, for one, right now, and I think, Ryan, you and I have talked, like, philosophically, we're in a similar principle right now. I don't mind dropping a couple of my massive contracts on the, the wide receivers that are going the first round, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and even Cooper Cup. Yeah, and I'm, I'm in the similar boat. So, for me, um, I tend to, especially in super flex leagues, my focus is primarily on, on quarterbacks, right? I like to focus on getting two really strong quarterback. So if you look at one of my leagues that I'm in, I, I spent a lot of assets to get Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. That's how I like to build it. Usually because you have a lot less injury risk when it comes to quarterbacks. And even if they do get banged up, they, you know, they may be missing that time for that season, but they're more likely to come back and come back strong. You see with the running backs and things like that, a lot more injuries like Achilles or uh, ACLs that are a little bit tougher to come back from. And it's just such a wear and tear position that, that cliff can come really quickly with running backs. And, and that scares me. I mean, you look at some guys like Devonta Freeman, who had a, a great season and then fell off, or even guys like Le'Veon Bell. And uh, the list goes on. Saquon Barkley, even who people, that was the darling running back for them to draft in dynasties and in RSO and to give that four-year contract and just have underperformed. So I tend to target the running backs in the rookie drafts, and I tend to target the wide receivers uh, and the quarterbacks with my larger, longer-term contracts. Yeah, so let's, that's a good point, right? I, I do think that much of our base, a lot of the people that we hear from on Twitter, are, these are not novices to fantasy and they tend to prefer the Superflex format. Um, I have found myself gravitating to, to Lamar Jackson more than most. I, I put his name out there for you uh, because we have the data of what his contract looks like in front of us. But, like, but at, a, at the beginning of a, of a Superflex league, would you find Lamar Jackson to be a dangerous bid at this point? We don't know about his contract situation in real life. We don't, uh, he has the running risk 
Uh, talk to me about that. Am I, am I overly high on him to, to put him up in that same tier with the Justin Herberts, Patrick Mahomes, uh, and Josh Allen's of the world? So it's interesting because as I look at the RSO data and I look at the, the average contract length and the average value for him, he's about 3.4 years. So it shows that people aren't shy for giving him a long-term deal, but he's actually 24.8 million as an average contract, which is, you know, if you look at a Justin Herbert, who's a young guy like Lamar Jackson, but isn't that runner and doesn't come with that running risk that I think is perceived with Lamar Jackson, he's up at 34.4 million um, from an average year perspective. So in those super flex leagues. So I think you are seeing people kind of shy away a little bit from Lamar to degree within the RSO landscape so far um, with dollar commitment, but they're seeming to be willing to give the years. Now, Lamar Jackson, and I don't, I don't actually have a really great answer to give my reason behind this, but for some reason he's the quarterback and I hope I don't jinx him when I say this, but he's the running quarterback that seems to give me the least injury angst. And there's not really a great reason behind it, right? He takes a lot of hits and um, I've seen him take some pretty bad hits where I'm like, Oh God, I'm having shades like RG three and stuff. Uh, But Lamar Jackson, for me, I haven't shied away from, he is a a building block quarterback for me. Uh, But when it does come to the super flex leagues like this, I do rank the guys like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Joe Burrow over him. Um, but he's always in that top like five to seven range for me. So let's focus on that for a moment. I found myself uh, way out on on Herbert, uh, pardon me, not on Herbert. I, I'm all in with him on you, but I actually find myself less drawn to to Joe Burrow. Uh, I, think, I think we're a little bit, I, I don't find him as fascinating because I, I don't know uh, how he's not just supercharged uh, Mac Jones, for example. Um, can you make the case for me that like other than like probably the, the brilliance of his wide receiving core, uh, is there something that I'm missing with Joe Burrow? Is like, is, is, is he ever going to really return value or is it just the stability that people are buying into with him? So it's a couple things. I think it's the stability. I think it's the receiving core that he has around him, right? Like it's one of the best in, in the league with Jamar Chase and T Higgins and even guys like Tyler Boyd. He's got a pretty steady running game with Joe Mixon. Um, but I think for me, it's a couple things. It's the completion percentage. I mean, being over 70% last year, that's a pretty significant number. And the ability to put up the yardage statistics is a big separator for me and someone like Mac Jones, the offense that the Patriots have run. I, I don't picture with that receiving core and seeing how dedicated they were to the run game. I mean, I think back to that snow game that they played where it was like literally just watching running back and forth by both teams. Uh, Joe Burrow, He's over 4,600 yards is his you know, second season as a starter. And for me, that that is what has that ceiling for me, is that yardage, that commitment to to pass in the Bengals offense. Um, and I look at, again, just those weapons. They're all young. They're all going to grow with him. It's, it's a more attractive buy for me. So I'm actually all in on Joe Burrow from a, a dynasty perspective. Uh, and I am all in on Justin Herbert, who it kind of pains me to say, because when he was coming out of college, I wasn't the biggest fan. Uh, I think my first show ever with you guys, actually, I was saying that I wouldn't touch Justin Herbert in the first round of Superflex, and he was more of a second round guy for me. I worried about his accuracy in the flats and a couple other things with him, and I didn't love what I saw at the Senior Bowl, too, uh, but he has shut me up big time, and as a Washington Commanders fan, uh, we passed on him, so it's a, a little bit of a, a sore topic, but I'm all in on Herbert, and I'm all in on, on Burrow. 
question for you. Uh, what, what makes you compare him more to like a Mac Jones type? It's because I think the, the way that people speak about him is principally about his capacity to win in big games, his real life and intangible elements that, that carry them to the Super Bowl. Um, the, and it's less about the prolific numbers, frankly. And Mac Jones is already getting all this buzz in the offseason. Uh, if we really believe in his talent, that I think ultimately, uh, like Burrow came out as an older quarterback, you're not getting a, a massive age like discount for him. I don't know that he's going to keep running for a long time with those wide receivers available to him. And he plays in a pretty tough division. And I, th- there's factors that like, uh, I think, and I'm, I'm saying this aloud for the first time as I think through this, because I just, it just dawned on me as I went through the Scott Fishbowl, it dawned on me as I've, I've listened to other analysts that I respect, I realized I'm significantly down on Burrow relative to cost. I'm not, it's not a full fade, but like, I doubt that I'd get him because I have uh, quarterbacks, at least seasonally, like Russell Wilson and Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott probably ahead of him in, in my, my desire to have them on my team this year. And I think with quarterbacks, I do think it a little more year to year. And I'll talk to you, we, we should talk that through, Ryan. When, when we're sitting in our RSO room, and we have, you know, one four-year contract to give and a few three-year contracts to give. If you're starting up in a super flex, are you walking in with the plan to give two quarterbacks uh, one of those long-term ones? Let's call it the four-year or the two, three years available to you. Um, I have found I usually am walking away with one long-term given to a quarterback and one two-year given to a quarterback. Um, but then I think about I think about our listener league that you and I are in. And you made, it was really astute. Like, I, I can't even tell you my frustration. I literally, I think you were getting Derek Carr in the draft. And I, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, I was like, oh, this is excellent. He's real low. And I, and I'll never forget, like, my wife came and asked me like a significant question that I had to gauge with her on. And no, and no one kept bidding him up. And I was like, that's freaking brilliant that he got like Derek Carr at that cost. And, and I only, I only raised that because he was, a rarity that was available at auction and nobody was appreciating the rarity at the time. And, and I think that's true of any super flex league. So that's a long way of asking you a question that, that demands a good answer from you. And, and sure. I want to hear your answer. Like, do you drop those long-term contracts exclusively on quarterbacks? So I would probably come out of every super flex draft with a four and a three, if it was a fresh start league, um, what happens in super flex leagues, it, it's pretty interesting. I, I think quarterbacks tend to be undervalued that first season. So you might be able to come away and, and not use that strategy if your league is straight out and it's fresh. Uh, but by year three or four of every RSO league I've done, the quarterbacks become a major commodity because then you start having the teams that hoard three or four of the good quarterbacks and it creates that that demand And as the quarterbacks come up and and they start playing well, they're more likely to get those long-term contracts because they don't carry the injury or contract risk that other positions normally do. So once you're established as a top tier quarterback, it's kind of hard for you to lose that starting job in comparison to being like a running back. So I think that for me, I generally like to come out. If it's a first year league, I'm definitely using my four year on one of the high end guys. And I might be more prone to use a couple ones and twos on other guys, knowing that it might take a couple years for that position to value. But you saw in our league, the, the listener league, like you mentioned, one of the first targets I had, even before we went into that draft, I traded 
all my assets basically to get Josh Allen and extend him. And then I went into the draft saying I'm coming out with two more starters and I drafted Derek Carr. And then I felt like Matt Ryan was good value where I had grabbed him at for a multi-year deal. And I, I do tend to put a lot of emphasis on that quarterback position. It's how I've won. And I've found that my leagues where I don't win and I'm less comfortable with my team tends to be the quarterback position. That's a gaping hole for me. That's incredibly astute. And I think that's the right answer, frankly, for Superflex leagues. It does put a pressure then as you go through the auction. So like, as we look at these contracts, you and I are also comfortable giving extraordinarily high year to year contracts for running backs because we don't, um, we, we, tend to appreciate what they can deliver for like league winning upside. I think I, I shouldn't say we like I, from my perspective, I appreciate what they can deliver for a year to year league winning upside. But as you said, they are quick to depreciate even ones that seemed like foregone conclusions to take the league by storm for years, like Saquon, like that. that yep. he, if we talked about him as if there were literally, there was literally no way that he could fail because he was this, this, incredibly elite rookie that that did everything that he was supposed to he checked every box and and you're right now he's enjoying a bit of a renaissance he's creeping back into the second round which is wonderful for him and i hope that they do well um because he the league's more fun when running backs are fun for sure but i but yeah he he really hurt owners for the last couple of years and, and really hurt those that like invested in him as general managers so here's my flip side of that if we're using up our three and four year um, contracts on the quarterbacks and super flex, does that take us out of the running? Do you think for the, the really elite wide receivers like Justin Jefferson, uh, like um, Jamar Chase and in dynasty, right? CD lamb tends to slot into that third spot. Not, um, not, Cooper Cup. So for those three, have we just eliminated our capacity to start with a, a foundational wide receiver if we're if we're going heavy on the quarterback? No, I don't think so. And and here's why I feel like you can get away with three or four really high dollar contracts. Um, and if you're using if you're saving one of your three years, I think you can still play with those expensive contracts and not take yourself out. I think where teams get in trouble is they forget about the depth of a fan that is needed to win and sustain a long fantasy football season, especially with years where we've had things like COVID where you've seen guys like Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey and people that have had impacts that have been close to or at playoff time. Uh, It's important to have that depth. So it's, it's kind of sexier to go out and say, I'm going to, Hey, I'm going to go grab like five or six big name guys. And then I'll fill in my roster as it comes. It hurts in the long run. I think the teams that have the most success, tend to go into the draft and hit value. Now, where I tend to focus is I always feel like I can find the most value positionally in the middle tier wide receivers for guys who haven't really totally broken out yet, but are on that cusp. So the guys that last year I was targeting in drafts, DJ Moore, um, Terry McLaurin, guys like that, that are like the young guys that are that middle tier, not your top 12 guys, but maybe in that top like 13 to 25 range. That's where I've tended to build my rosters around is I can find those wide receivers that they're not going to be your number one or number two overall at the end of the season, 
but they're going to put up really consistent numbers and have a higher ceiling. So those guys that I mentioned, I feel like this year can maybe take that step and, and get into that top 12. So those are the types of receivers that I like to target. Um, so this year, I feel like if I, I look at the landscape, um, people that are attractive to me, um, like those like Devonta Smith, Marquise Brown, Terry McLaurin's another name, DJ Moore, um, Allen Robinson. Those are the kind of names that I, I like to focus on that I feel like are not in that top tier, but have the ceiling to get there. And at worst, you're going to get pretty consistent value out of them. Absolutely. That tier for me extends pretty far down. You dropped Devontae Smith. He's in lot in many consensus weight rankings is, is actually in the mid thirties as a wide receiver. He's bracketed by Juju Smith-Schuster and Rashad Bateman. I love both those guys actually, like probably like I'm higher on them than consensus. Uh, Robert Woods is going after him. Traylon Burks and uh, Brandon Ayuk. Drake London's even going after Devontae Smith. These are like interesting. Uh, it's interesting to see it play out that way in drafts, but it's not really until you get into say like the fifties, then you're starting to look at wide receivers like Alan Lazard, Tyler Boyd, Kenny Galladay. Um, you, you don't really have the upside uh, rookies anymore. I do want to talk about that for a moment. Most of us that are playing in, in reality sports online, most GMs I found actually tend to overvalue rookies in these drafts, right? Because they, for whatever reason, they're, they didn't have the pick that they wanted, right? They never got the slot where they could get Olave. They never had access to Brees Hall. Yep. Um, do you see that playing out in your RSO auctions too? I'm just like, whoa, like that, that was a, a big a price to pay for like Drake London. Like he's getting paid as if he's already done something. And as you say, like he's there, he's going for the same cost as someone like DJ Moore. And, and the two in my mind are not comparable. And yeah. So I, I a yeah. thousand percent agree. And I don't mean to cut you off there, but where, where I struggle is, they do go after like the top 12 to 14 come off the board. Then you see this like rush of rookies for me when I'm building, like if I, I end up kind of doing like an auction value, like if I were to start every league from scratch, this is how I would value those players. And I have like a descending value chart. I have the rookies like just from this year to give you context. I have them rank like 29, 30, 31, 33. So I do value them pretty highly because it's, you know, I, I feel like they have good upside and they can all be ones, but I'm going to take the guys that are going to, that have proven that they can step onto the field and perform. Like there's no way I'm taking the rookies over DJ Moore, Terry McLaurin, Chris Godwins, Keenan Allen, Jalen Waddle, like those names, I'm going to take those guys. And Keenan Allen's a little bit of a different one because he's, a little bit older, right? He's getting um, towards those like age 30 seasons and that's where receivers can start to fall off. But the other names that I just named, like the Waddles, Moores, McLaurin, I'm definitely taking those over the rookies in a startup. So for me, I value the rookies like they're like, uh, Jamar Chase is a little bit different because I think he was a higher end talent coming out. But the other guys I tend to focus on in that like high 30s, uh, uh, late 20s uh, when it comes to rookies. So I, I do value them high, but not higher than the established guys. So let me ask. Yeah, so with the, the rookies, I think for me, like late 20s, early 30s, that tends to be my wheelhouse. I just I, I struggle to take the rookie receivers, like you said, over the established names. I know if I draft DJ Moore or Terry McLaurin or guys like that, that I'm getting an established receiver 
who still has a high ceiling, right? These guys aren't guys that haven't performed and, and I, I think they haven't hit their ceiling yet. They, they're still young. They've had situations where maybe the quarterback play hasn't been great. Those are the kind of people that I focus on over the rookies. But yeah, once, once it does hit those late 20s, early 30s, I'm happy to pull a trigger on uh, one of the rookie receivers and, and take that upside. Now, question for you, because I know we've been talking strategy and, and we said we don't like to sometimes put big contracts out to running backs because the injury risk and the consistency risk. Are there any younger running backs that are out there that you would feel comfortable giving a three or four year contract out to? And if so, who, who would those running backs be? It's a great question. And it's a simple answer for you because I think the list is really short. I think Brees Hall is name number one. I think you can also put Javante Williams on that list. Uh, I think the, the industry, and I would not, but the industry would put DeAndre Swift on that list, Najee Harris, and then Jonathan Taylor topping it off, right? And I named those in ascending order from where they're being drafted. Typically in redraft, you can get Brees Hall this year still in the third round. And But those other guys, uh, and for me personally, and like you said, uh, it's just such a rarity but I think I, I do love running backs and I, I could see myself using it on a running back. But of those guys, I really only see myself drawn to Jonathan Taylor. I would just pay up for it and avoid the headache and the questions that abound for the rest of them. DeAndre Swift is attached to the Detroit Lions. They might be a darling right now and he has the receiving upside, but I'm not totally convinced that he is what the what everyone wants to make him out to be. And I don't think he's insulated from them drafting another running back that can handle more of a load. Um, That's a great Jav- point. Javante Williams, like I, again, he is outstanding. He's the next one that I could see making a stratospheric leap with just such a better, we can't underestimate the, the quarterback renaissance that's about to happen in Denver relative to who he's played with so far. So he'd be the next one that I, I, I guess I would be confident in, in at least extending a three-year offer if he was much cheaper, probably five to $10 million per year cheaper than Jonathan Taylor. But those five names, I think I could see myself in the right circumstances saying, you know what, I value these guys as much as a foundational piece as I do a wide receiver. And so those guys, I, I, Probably in order of confidence, I would say JT, Javante Williams, and then Brees Hall actually would be the third that I was like most confident in out of the crowd, only because I really trust the Pittsburgh Steeler organization. And and you can speak to this. You and I have never hashed this out. To Goody, I point out that I tend to trust organizations more, so it's weird for me to prefer the Jet to the Steeler. Um, but <laughs> But, right like it's a it's a crazy situation. it sounds funny saying it <laughs> it might be the right. first year in a decade you've probably said that <laughs> yeah yeah and it's a, and it's and it's not even that i do right i still trust pittsburgh more i just um i just think they again they're in that really tough division and i think his success was totally volume driven and i'm worried that they're just going to burn that kid out before they get uh give before he can, yeah, I just think they're going to burn them out. How about you, Ryan? What are you thinking? So for me, honestly, like it's, I'm with you, Jonathan Taylor, if I have an opportunity to overpay a little bit and just have that peace of mind that, Hey, I could potentially have the number one or a guy who's going to probably be consistently in that top five. Cause I know it's tough for running backs to repeat year over year is the number one. You know, I, I feel like I would pay up for him. The difference I think between you and I, I'd be very comfortable paying up for Najee Harris. I love Najee Harris. Um, I aggressively tried to get him in all my leagues last year. I was successful in, in one of them. 
Um, and I actually rode him to a championship, my first championship in my league with, you know, friends from college that has been elusive for me for so long. I don't know why it's always that like one league that you really care about with your, your friends that tends to elude you. Um, but that was, and Harris was that guy that I rode. Um, I think the scary thing with him to me is the quarterback situation. Um, I'm more confident in Kenny Pickett than most. I feel like I'm not worried about the hand size. He was a pretty remarkable quarterback at Pittsburgh. I think he was the, one of the, they were one of the most prolific offenses. If you go back that put up like, I think it was over 40 points a game. Um, they were the team that did it the most since like, it was like the early 1900s. So um, Kenny Pickett's got that established uh, collegiate background. And I feel like he fits well in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think with Harris, they can ease him into that position, but I feel like that's going to give him a little bit stability longer term. I'm more confident in Najee Harris. I'm the same boat with you with DeAndre Swift. I love the receiving upside. The receiving upside alone, if you're in full point PPR, I think does put him in that conversation to be one of the elite backs. But to your point, when you're not that full-time workhorse, when you're maybe more way to the receiving back, or if you're more an early down rusher, you always have that opportunity for the team to draft somebody else and take that role where you're maybe not that a plus role in that spot. Um, so that for me, Swift is someone that I, I am confident in, but I shy away from. And then for some reason, I don't know what it is, but Javante Williams, just, I like him. Um, I think he's a good back that can be a lower end RB one. Um, I don't see the upside that everybody else does. And I actually really liked Michael Carter coming out of North Carolina when I would watch the tape of the two. And maybe that's part of it. I fell in love with Michael Carter a little bit too much. Um, but I, I would be comfortable with him because of the age. Um, and I think you're absolutely right from that point of with Denver, people do not understand how bad the quarterback play was. When they talk about Jerry Judy, when they talk about Cortland Sutton, the quarterback play last year for the Denver Broncos was prolifically bad. I think yet the wide receiver Hinton who started a game and I think he attempted nine passes and completed one. And you look at these guys that had like, maybe that was two years ago, but the, the success of these guys and how they performed the last two years, it's just been such a terrible quarterback situation. So Javante Williams, definitely huge bump with Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton for me, Jerry Judy, big bumps for all those guys. I think they're going to, they're going to shatter the ceiling of, of where they're at now. Um, with Russell Wilson coming on, are there any other moves, Luke, that you've seen that kind of give you that Bronco-like leap where you're like, yeah, I, I really like what the Denver Broncos offense is going to do with Russell Wilson coming on? Are there any other changes, whether it's coaching staff or um, personnel-wise across the league that you're kind of like vaulting your tears a little bit more? Well, I found myself nodding along to you right now a lot. I, I feel the same about Kenny Pickett. I think he does seem to be a, a guy that I'm confident in to just kind of keep the band together in Pittsburgh. I actually don't see, I'm, I'm fine with Mitch Trubisky. I don't think he was as bad as people made him out to be after watching him for years in the NFC North. But um, but I think Kenny, Kenny Pickett takes that job sooner rather than later. And and it's going to be a new new day for the, the Steelers. Um, you know, as far as the the easiest one for me to point to is a player I've always believed in, in Juju Smith-Schuster, Juju Smith-Schuster moving over to KC. Again, like we, after playing with 
the cybernetically connected arm of Ben Roethlisberger for the last couple of seasons. <laughs> I mean, right. He goes to arguably the most talented player in the league, throwing him the ball. Like it's going to be fun. Like there, there's going to be fun and innovative. And I, and I appreciate that they gave him a lower contract than they gave to MBS, but we've seen what MBS does with arguably the only other player that we could call as talented as Patrick Mahomes, right? Like as far as an arm talent, like, like, okay, yes, you can, I will let everyone else take MBS a hundred times out of a hundred. If, if Juju's falling a little bit. Well, it's funny because you you make a great point. It's not like he came over from the giants and he's catching passes from Daniel Jones or he was playing in Carolina with Sam Darnold, right? He was playing with Aaron Rodgers. He's not, (laughs) Um, you know, going from like a terrible quarterback to a great one. He's going from great to great. Um, so the only thing that I could think about maybe that would give me some MVS bump is I think that they forced Devonte Adams, a lot of targets in, uh, green Bay. Uh, actually one of my friends, that's a Packers fan brought this point up to me, but if you, if you take the games where Devonte Adams didn't play and you prorate them for a full season, you actually get Rogers numbers that are very similar to his MVP caliber seasons, if not exceeding that. Um, so sometimes, and RG3 actually made this point on um, on ESPN, and he was saying, I feel like Devontae Adams leaving is good for the Packers offense. And people are like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But it, it does from just a fundamental perspective of now they're going to distribute the ball a little bit better, and then you're forced to. Now losing a talent like Devontae Adams doesn't make an offense better, but from a strategy perspective of not forcing it, maybe the offense does um, grow a little bit in a, in a certain way, in a, in a weird roundabout way. Uh, Want to ask you about one, one player that I believe in a lot. I'm just curious to see where you feel with him. But like Trevor Lawrence to me was one of those generational talent quarterbacks that came out that I was like, man, this guy's no mess, like slam dunk quarterback. I haven't felt that about someone since like the Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin years. And I feel like Urban Meyer just was such a weight on that team last year, just a disaster. Do you feel that Jacksonville with Peterson coming over and that new staff that Lawrence is someone you'd buy and would you buy the assets around him since he's so young and ascending at the quarterback position? What are your thoughts on him? The only RSO startup I've done this year, I did in fact invest in Trevor Lawrence for the reasons that you're talking about. Um, and you laid out the case perfectly well. My only cautionary note, even as I invested in him, was my concern lay primarily with understanding really to what extent his weapons improved, right? I, I, he's got Christian Kirk now, but I don't know that Christian Kirk is is significant enough to move the needle. He lost DJ Chark, who like didn't really ever play with him in a substantial way. I. I'm fascinated to see what Peterson does. I do think, I do at the end of the day, I think fundamentally agree with you though. I think I would gamble on his talent and I'd like to gamble on talented players, but with the cautionary note, I would prefer him as my third quarterback this year rather than my, like, but again, I'm pretty, you've seen me. I, I roll yep. in a super flex league with like Baker as my second quarterback. So I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not I, I wouldn't say like I, he's bad. I'm just saying I would not start him perhaps in a one quarterback league or Baker, expect him season. Let me tell you, Baker Mayfield, as, as funny as it sounds and as much as he's had his struggles last year with injuries in Cleveland, and I think it kind of capped his ability to see the real Baker Mayfield. I don't think he's as bad as he played last year. I think he took a brunt of 
that unfairly to a degree, but Baker Mayfield, say what you want about him. That's a massive upgrade from Sam Darnold. I'm like, when I saw that I have invested in DJ Moore in basically every league that I'm in other than some of the RSO orphan teams that I've taken over with you guys. But um, I'm really like when DJ, when Baker Mayfield signed or got traded to the Panthers, I was like all in on DJ Moore again. I was very, very happy because the talent is there and it's like that consistent, like four touchdowns, four touchdowns, four touchdowns. And he never kind of cracks that ceiling. I feel like Baker Mayfield gets in there. Do you, do you think he does? Or are you kind of a little bit less bullish on the Baker Mayfield move than I am? No, I wish, I mean, this is the moment that I wish Goody was here with us amongst other moments, right? But like, I'm totally with you. He and I have fought over DJ Moore so often. I'm like, you don't get it. This kid is it. Like he is so good. I've loved DJ Moore and have him in many places, uh, like willing to pay him as a GM all over the place. And yes, and I've always liked Baker too. So I love to see just for a fun perspective. I love to see the two of them together. And I do want to appeal to your commander heart because the other one, that I, in fact, wrote an article about this, about targeting wide receivers who you trust their talent, but like don't trust their quarterback situation. Terry McLaurin was one that I felt the same way about, right? I was like, this guy is as good as it gets. And if he gets a slight upgrade, we, we should really pay attention to what that could happen. Uh, do you have any optimism about Wentz? I have a ton of optimism over Wentz. So maybe, maybe this is my burgundy and gold co- colored glasses that I'm putting on right now, but... Uh, I feel like Scott Turner is an offensive coordinator that like his father, Norv likes a vertical offense. They like those guys that can stretch a field and open up the offense for them. And I think what really hurt Washington last year, I'm amazed that they won seven games last year. It's a miracle that they won seven games last year. I don't think people understand how, how poor of a fit Taylor Heineke is. And I love Taylor Heineke. Love the heart, love what he was able to overachieve and bring to that offense. Love that he's still part of the team. Very happy to have him as my number two quarterback. His arm getting the ball downfield is very limited. And that's why they brought in a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who turns the ball over, makes some bad decisions, but he has the ability to stretch the field and have that, that deep threat game. Washington hasn't had that the last couple of years. They've had injured Alex Smith. They've had Taylor Heineke. They've had Dwayne Haskins, they've had guys who weren't able to open up that offense the way that Scott Turner would want to open up that offense. Carson Wentz brings that. He might make your boneheaded decision. He might throw in the low 60% from a completion rate, but he's going to open up that offense like nobody's seen in Washington for any quarterback that Terry McLaurin has gotten to play with. Um, And it's a long list that he's unfortunately had to play with, but I'm all in on Terry McLaurin. Um, I really like Jahan Dotson too. I think he's getting kind of lost in the shuffle with the rookie wide receivers. I feel like just recently people are starting to invest in him because of the draft capital. But like when we talk about the rookie drafts for RSO, you get to that back end of the first round, like I'm smashing that, that draft button on Jahan Dotson over and over. Cause I feel like he's going to play in the slot. He's got great hands. And I think Carson Wentz brings a nice dynamic to that offense. So yes, you're going to have to deal with the road bumps. Yes. You're going to have to deal with the bad decisions, but man, it's a good, good fit for Scott Turner's offense. Absolutely. Now, speaking of that offense, there, I do want to talk a little bit about um, the volatility at the running back position. Antonio Gibson's a great place to start. He's someone that I've believed in. Uh, his profile is the kind that I like to chase. He's just such a fast, strong 
like his speed scores out of the world, out of this world. He had the receiving profile coming out of Memphis and, and that hasn't materialized really yet. Um, but here's who you're looking at in the first round, Ryan. And then we'll talk about some of the later guys like Antonio Gibson, Derek Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, and Dalvin Cook are pretty much locks to go in the first round of most drafts that are not RSO. Are those guys, and in you can name one that you're most confident in and one that you're not, those are the kind of guys I'm usually giving a two-year to. Just be like, okay, like I'll give, I'll pay up, I'll give a 30 million per year for two years to these guys to get a, a potential running back one. Yep. Is is the community omitting anyone? Am I omitting anyone that that could potentially get there? Like Harris, for example, do you think like that he should be in that tier? Nick Chubb, Swift, any of those guys like that? I'm. Yeah. So I'll I'll rattle off my top ten, and this is balanced on length of contract and youth. So like Jonathan Taylor is my one. Najee Harris is my two for RSO leagues. I think that Najee Harris is one of the few true workhorse running backs. I then go to Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, DeAndre Swift. Uh, Kamara scares me a little bit. He's my six right now, but he scares me a little bit with the the potential suspension coming up for next year. But if you're given multi-year deal, maybe you're okay. Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry. And then I actually rounded out with Saquon Barkley. Um, who I still believe in the skill set, and I'm still drinking the Kool-Aid of the highlights and what he was able to do at Penn State and what we saw as a as a rookie. I mean, I saw his very first carry as an NFL player. I went to a preseason game. The Cleveland Browns played the New York Giants, and Saquon Barkley, first carry, huge gain, and I was like, oh, my God, this looks like Barry Sanders. Like, I, as a Washington fan, we're in trouble. And it's funny because I saw Nick Chubb play in that same game, and I was like, man, Chubb doesn't have it after seeing Saquon Barkley, because they were just such different running backs. Um, but obviously Chubb has, has become that consistent guy, but that's, that's my real top 10. Um, the only guys in there that I'd be willing to give that multi-year contract to are Taylor Harris. Um, I'm actually a bigger believer in Dalvin cook than most. Um, so those would probably be my three that I'd be most inclined to give a long-term contract to. Very good. And with that volatility, I think that sounds great. It honestly, you got to get yourself in another startup because I think you would get uh, all the Najee that you wanted. I, he, for some reason, I don't understand how all he did was deliver. And I don't understand why the community, I mean, early in the off season, he was, he was really being like tiered almost immediately behind JT and all these dynasty drafts and stuff. And now, and now people are letting him slip. And I, I don't know where that animus is coming from. I think this maybe this uncertainty around quarterback, but it would be hard to be worse than what he dealt with last year. So exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, right. So now later guys that I like, right. I keep telling myself, and, and I don't know if you share this video, but I, I think in the quote unquote dead zone, you have guys like Brees Hall, Antonio Gibson, who we mentioned, um, JK Dobbins, Travis Etienne, uh, Etienne Miles Sanders and CEH. So I like all those guys for different reasons. And I am willing to take a swing on all of them for different reasons. I would say that I would not be shocked if one of those running backs, all who have youth still on their side, bump up into that top 10 next year. I'm not going to say a lot of them, but I'm going to say one of them has the capacity to do so. Um, If I had to like kind of, place my bet on it oddly enough it's ceh because i really uh like and so um again that has 
more to do with the confidence and like the same analysis that people are applying to Aaron Jones in Green Bay saying like when a when a target hog leaves the beneficiary is often a receiving back this is the presumption that he beats out my former Viking and one time love of my life with uh, Jarek McKinnon. Jack McKinnon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so confident in him and never really materialized. But I, like, look, I, I, I think he's kind of the late or that dead zone running back that I'm willing to place my chips on. Do one of those other names appeal to you more in that area? So the Antonio Gibson name, and it's not just being a homer appeals to me. And it's because the faith that that staff has in him. I think people are overreacting to a third round draft pick running back in, in Brian Robinson, who I very much like the skill set. But what I see them using Brian Robinson as is that guy that when Gibson goes down, if he misses a couple games, Washington has been stuck with Peyton Barbers and Jarrett Patterson's who great running backs that serve a role but they by no means can stop up and be that number one back. Brian Robinson, if you need him for two or three games to be that workhorse, can be. Washington hasn't had that. So do I potentially see Robinson getting a few goal line carries? Sure. Do I see Gibson getting a million touches just like he did last year? Absolutely. Do I see him potentially being more involved in the passing game? Yes. So I think that's an answer. CEH, like you said, I actually very much saw a Brian Westbrook skill set when he came out of college. I'm still a believer in the skill set. So I'm, this is kind of like the last year, like you got to prove it or, or, or you're gone kind of thing for me, but I'm still buying CEH. Um, the Dobbins piece scares me. And I would have said JK Dobbins as the big name for me, because I love the skill set coming out. He very much reminded me of a guy that could be like an Ezekiel Elliott type player. But, you know, the fact that he's still rehabbing the ACL and it still is in question if he starts for week one, that starts to scare me. Um, the interesting name that we didn't talk about that I think could potentially vault up is Elijah Mitchell. But again, that backfield in San Francisco so much uncertainty and every year seems to be different. But when I watched Elijah Mitchell last year, it just passed the eye test that this guy can be a workhorse running back in the NFL. That's good to hear because I trust you far more. And I didn't, I try to think about, I didn't get to see Elijah Mitchell, but twice last year in just watching games. And I, and it, um, and I do think I have a little bit of that bias about the replaceability, both in that system and in his draft capital. And perhaps because I was higher on Trey Sermon than most too, like, regrettably. <laughs> so like that's a, but it is good to change, right? Like I, I, I'm pretty adaptive with my affection for these running backs. And, and so I hope that I hope that he does well for his sake. And who knew, Ryan? I didn't think we would end up going so running back heavy in our time together. But our listeners should know you're going to be a regular part of this program moving forward. They need to get reach out to Goody. Wish him well. Uh, and uh, Please. He's, he's on the mend. And so we will uh, we'll get him back on the mic and defending his terrible animus towards all things like Vikings and stuff uh, in the days to come. But, um, <laughs> but right. It's been a good, it's been a good evening and we'll talk more auction value, especially like we'll break a few of these down uh, moving up where we get more into the average value contracts of what we're looking at as the early data comes in from RSO. That'll be helpful for our listeners for sure. Um, until then they can get some of the good takes and the film that you watch where they, where are they looking for you on Twitter? So if you want to come find me on Twitter, it's at what Gibbs FF um, Gibbs, like Joe Gibbs, 
Um, so what gives FF for fantasy football and uh, yeah, very active on Twitter, love interacting with people. So hit me in the DM. If you have any questions, trade questions, anything, follow me. would love to interact. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for coming on ably. So tonight, sir, you can find me at fantasy.oc. And this has been another episode of all about reality.